What is Bond doing in a Swiss bank? Um, cigars? How was that bomb detonated? Have you ever ridden on the River Thames this way? Wait, was the Millennium Dome open when they filmed this movie? Come and join us as we decode. The pre-title sequence of The World is Not Enough from 1999. Hi, this is Dan. And Tom. I'm Vicky. From com. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to The World is Not Enough. All right, The World is Not Enough title is a throwback to the Bond movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service when Bond investigates his own family crest and motto, Non-Sufficit Orbis. The motto actually comes from King Philip II of Spain, whose symbol was a horse sleeping over a globe, referencing that his empire spanned four continents. But the epitaph on the tomb of Alexander the Great read, a tomb now suffices him for whom the world was not enough. So this was like 323 BCE. Yeah, wow. All right. Maybe they got the title from there. (laughs) That's pretty cool stuff. All right. Now it's time to decode the pre-title sequence. The gun barrel sequence runs and the circle opens up and straight away we see Bond wearing glasses walking across a busy street in Bilbao, Spain. So immediately we are informed of his location. No guessing here. That was one of the questions on one of our trivia contests. Where Uh did this movie open? Sometimes we don't give you the answer in advance. Other times we'll tell you what podcast episode we'll pull some of the questions from. Yeah, and we're going to have another one every month. No, it's first Saturday of the month. Check it out. All right. In some of the previous pre-title sequence, Bond is not visible until the crucial moment, like in 1987's The Living Dialogue and on Her Majesty's Secret Service from 1969. And there are also those movies when Bond doesn't appear at all in the opening sequence, like Live and Let Die 1973 and No Time to Die in 2021. But straight off, we know Bond's whereabouts. Yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, we've talked about something similar in previous episodes. Because in Sean Connery's Dr. No, George Lazenby's On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Timothy Dalton in The Living Daylights, James Bond is revealed slowly. Only Roger Moore in Live and Let Die and, of course, Daniel Craig's Casino Royale, we didn't get a slow reveal. Now here, we're talking about seeing Bond or not in the pre-title. But it's cool how they shake up when we see James Bond. Yeah, I like when they're introducing the new James Bond, too. That that kind of slow reveal is, is neat. I like that a lot. So, wait. Now, why is yep. Bond wearing glasses here, though? He's trying to look cool, maybe. A fashion statement. Yeah, that's it. Bond always has to make a fashion statement. <laughs> has he lost his vision? Oh, my God. He's getting older. He lost his vision. A disguise, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe that's it. Well, let's see if we can find out. Camera draws our attention to a plaque that says La Banque Suisse. So now we know he's on his way to a Swiss bank. We jump into the office environment. Bond is disarmed. And he says, If you can't trust a Swiss banker, what's the world come to? This confirms our thoughts as a viewer and where he is and maybe what he might be trying to do. He's frisked and a woman walks in with a box of cigars, offers one to Bond and then to the banker. That woman is played by Maria Grazia Cucinata, who's in the credits as Cigar Girl. Yeah. Now, in the complete James Bond movie encyclopedia by Stephen J. Rubin, he says that her name is Julieta. Now, I'm not sure where he got that. It was probably another script or something that he Mm -hmm. saw with the name in it. And again, she's credited as Cigar Girl here. Now, this is, and there's there are a few plays on the Cigar Girl thing. 
because this is two years after President Clinton got into trouble with his cigar girl. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I know that was really bad, but I had to. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, and this I... isn't the last we're going to be, this isn't the last we're going to hear about cigars in this pre-title. We'll talk more about that in a bit. They make a joke later in the pre-title sequence about cigars. So anyway, Cigar Girl is also in the boat shooting up Bond in the Thames River in just a few minutes. It's interesting that Bond doesn't smoke it. Roger Moore's Bond likely would have, as Moore took Bond from cigarettes to cigars. Yeah. And what I like here is the way Bond does a double take, like he's <laughs> surprised to see an attractive woman at the bank. <laughs> well, typical Bond, though. Typical Bond. <laughs> Yeah, we get we get that a lot from Bond. What a misogynist! <laughs> you think? <laughs> and, and he couldn't do that when he met Christmas Jones, as because he was trying to pretend to be this Russian physicist. He wasn't Bond being Bond, so he had yeah. to play that meeting a little more straight. Yeah, this kind of reminded me of the pigeon double take in Moonraker after he <laughs> sees the bandola. <laughs> I know that was a better double take. <laughs> that was a good one. All right, now the cigar. That Bond takes is the brand called Romeo A. E. Julieta Churchill, the Churchill for short, and it is the connoisseur cigar. Apparently, Sir Winston Churchill was an approved devotee of the brand, and they named the cigar after him. That's kind of cool. <laughs> now, all seems to be going well, but hey, this is a pre title <laughs> sequence in a Bond movie. It we can't. know nothing yet. <laughs> So why is Bond retrieving Sir Robert's money? And I guess, who is Sir Robert? Yeah, what's all this mystery about the money here? That's, we're set up now for this question. And so, okay, it's a little drawing us in a little bit here. And I have to admit, I haven't been drawn in yet. So this is a little bit of, of a pull. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's move on then, Dan, and see if we yeah. can draw you in. Then Julietta hands a piece of paper to Bond and says, would you like to check my figures? And Bond <laughs> says, oh, I'm sure they're perfectly rounded. Come <laughs> on. I mean, this is cheap writing. I mean, that, yeah, well, that's not cheap. even a clever exchange for trying yeah. to be a misogynist. Yeah, yeah. But Okay, now that said, maybe I laughed the first time. Who knows? All right. Yeah, so then for cheap. those of you who play our monthly trivia game, pay attention here. It was cheap. Pay attention here. The paperwork says the final credit is 3,030,303.03 sterling pounds. Now, that's a lot of money. And the, pa the paperwork says it's 715,808,668 pesatas, at an exchange rate of 237.75 pesata to one sterling pound. Okay. That is not, the number we just read there is not the, it's not the number 3 million. And more on that later. Yeah, okay. I'm just wondering what the significance is of all the threes and the O's in that total. Three, O, three, O, three, O, point three, O. What, what is that? What is that all about? Anybody know that? I, I tried to find that. I couldn't find anything on that. I don't know. It's a mystery. So maybe it's just they wanted to get near three million and they had the exchange rate. So they said, okay, what's the number of Posadas times the exchange rate that's mm. going to get us close? That'd be a hell of a as close as they could get. And I don't know. It would All be. Right. Actually, I never did the math on that either. So maybe, wow. maybe the math's not right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. right. Okay. And then later in M's office, when they're talking about King, Bond says, 
who buys stolen reports for three million pounds. Now, when we do a trivia game, if we use this number, we're not going to consider three million pounds correct because the actual answer is the three zero three zero three zero three zero three. Let's see if we use that. All right. Mm. So what is going on? What do we know? Well, the banker wants out. He doesn't know anything. He just wants to return the money to its rightful owner. And Bond mocks the banker by saying, And we know how difficult that can be for a Swiss banker. (laughs) Now, the banker is offering Bond the opportunity to walk out with the money. But somehow I think Bond did not come for the money. Bond quips back, I'm giving you the opportunity to walk out with your life. So, okay, Bond is disarmed, check. The banker in the room with the two other armed guys and the woman, and we get a banker quip. Looking at our present situation, strictly as a banker, I would have to say that the numbers are not on your side. Strictly as a banker, I would say the numbers are not on your side. I thought that was a good line. More bank puns. Perhaps you failed to take into account my uh, hidden assets as he was playing with his glasses in his hand. Right. Yeah, the glasses. Okay. There's an excuse for them, maybe. Boom! The glasses set off Bond's gun that's sitting on the table. And this gives Bond the advantage, enabling him to dispatch two of the banker's men before he holds the Swiss banker at gunpoint. Bond threatens him, and the banker is about to reveal the name Bond requires when the woman, Julietta the Cigar Girl, kills the banker and makes her run for it up a staircase. Who is she? Who's she protecting? And was it really her that killed the banker? We don't see that on camera. No. Well, we do see a woman running up the stairs, but we can't be sure it's her. Plus, after pointing upstairs, Bond points his gun down the stairs. Hmm. Yeah, well, (laughs) you never know if there are more than one henchman or henchwomen out there. Bond's always careful. (laughs) However, he did have a shot or two, maybe, that he could have fired at the woman running up the stairs, but he didn't shoot. All right, now I'm getting a little interested. <laughs> so now we hear sirens. Bond glances outside. Well, there's some ac- so there's some action, so you so you care. <laughs> there's some action, so you care. Now you're getting interested. Well, I mean, there was a little action when he shot the the, the guys in the bank in the office. That was good. But now you know, now it's getting yeah. a little bit intriguing. These things have to be intriguing. If they're not intriguing, you're like, eh, what the hell's going on? Big deal. All right, so Bond glances outside the window and he sees the Swiss police are approaching. Who called them? He's about to open the window to make an escape when one of the henchmen gets up and is about to shoot Bond before an unknown sniper shoots him. Not Bond, shoots the other henchman. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bond only hit this and he fell down, so I guess he got back up. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah, really? But. Why why is a sniper <laughs> shooting that guy? That's well, what yeah, I don't know. It, why is he doing that? The other the other part here is Bond when Bond goes, he locks the door. And the the it was one of those latches that you normally would have on an outside door. I don't know like of a of a office that would have that kind of a latch. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe I don't get into enough offices anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I, I, I mean, I'm gonna have a willing dis- suspension of disbelief for a latch. <laughs> it's not a problem. All right. Okay. Yeah. So we. So he gets shot. I don't know yeah, who, who's who's sniping at at the henchman, and why. Well, well, yeah, because when you look at it, he get, there's a there's a laser sight that hits the front of him. Right. Yeah. And there there are windows on the other side of Bond, but only the there's only one left. 
And the bullet came through the window, and I don't know how we would have seen the laser pointer where it was based on how Bond turns to see the hole in the window. So Bond was between the hole in the window and the henchman. So how did the laser sighter hit the laser sight hit that henchman? I I I just don't get it. But it, hey, well, it's not it's, a, it's not or a square. Magic. It's not a square room. It had more or less of a bay of windows wrapping around. So I think there could have been an angle there. It, it, it's not a square room where maybe it would have been totally off base, but they're kind of bay. Yeah, out. but uh, I'm not going to get into this more. But to me, it seemed weird. So. <laughs> All right. Oh no! How will Bond make his escape? Now, you know this is going to be a cool moment as the Bond music starts to play in the background. It's always a giveaway. (laughs) He grabs the blind cord on the window, attaches it to the henchman's belt, then attaches the other end to his own belt and leaps out of the window. Now, this acts as a counterweight as the henchman is dragged along the floor into the wall while Bond lands expertly on the pavement outside, case in hand, and casually walks away. All right, all right. This, this is another thing that really irks me here. This, this, I mean, Never. It, it, yeah, it's Bond. Okay, it's Bond. But we're to believe, we are to believe that the blind cord would support Bond's weight, number one, and it would be long enough to get down to the, to the sidewalk, right? Because you can tell from the building across the street that he is at least four or five stories up, meaning 40 or 50 feet at least. There is no way. That cord could be that long, especially with the tying off on the henchman's belt and Bond's belt. And also, why did he tie it to the table? It would have maybe made a much more secure <laughs> anchor than the guy. Although, <laughs> although maybe. It, would, it wouldn't have been so interesting, though, dragging a tie. It's interesting watching the man, you know, fly across the that floor. That part's the true. <laughs> that part is absolutely true. Well, no. <laughs> and maybe he needed the body to drag across the floor to have enough rope and to have it be that he went down slowly enough that he did just like fall down. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Who knows? I mean, this is Bond, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. So Bond. then as a viewer, we're transported to the MI6 building situated on the River Thames. Bond has returned and M wants to see him. We're introduced to the character, Sir Robert King, an obvious friend of M's and a British oil tycoon. We established that the case of money that Bond had retrieved belonged to King and that he was happy to have it back. Yeah. Well, I'm certain if he would, he would not rather have it back after we find out in a moment or so that it's been laced with explosives, right? But the best line in this scene is M's. When Sir Robert King says, Careful, Emma, I might try to steal him from you. And Bond answers, Construction is not exactly my uh, speciality. And M delivers the line, Quite the opposite, in fact. Quite the opposite, in fact. <laughs> I love that because that is brilliant writing. And it brings us back to so many other Bond movies and how destructive we know that Bond is in these movies. That's just brilliant. That is like, I think, the best line in the whole pre-title sequence. That's great stuff. <laughs> the thing is, with King, wouldn't you be happy to get three million pounds back? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to get, I'd get that happy back. But... One thing that that has me a little confused here is Bond counts out King's money. So why was it Bond that counted the money? That seems like a fairly mundane task for them to give him. Yeah. And he took some of those ice cubes out of an ice bucket with his fingers. Yeah. An ice bucket yeah. that he's sharing with them. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, whatever. That was a little And gross. then there was foam on his wet fingers. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this foam on his wet fingers and his glance. So somehow Bond smells this and figures out that, wow, the money must be tainted. Where do you, where's that parallel come from? Yeah, it's the only other stuff he was touching there. I think that's just insulting to the viewer. And he is Bond. Come on. He knows all this kind of stuff. Well, he... (laughs) But he 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 put together that this then he, and he shook King's hand, and so I, I, I the, the, there's no plausibility to that one for me. Yeah, the worst part is he took the ice cubes with his fingers. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> if we would have used tongs for that, this whole thing would have blown apart. He would have no idea it was laced. <laughs> <laughs> so his uncouthness as Bond here actually gave him the the clue. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, that was that. But Bond and M find out a little too late and race to stop King from grabbing his money. And King is killed in the explosion, triggered by his lapel pin. And MI6, the whole building, is severely damaged. Wow. Yeah, that, that lapel pin that King wears is called the Eye of the Glens, an enamel and metallic Celtic knot in three tiers featured with the letter K. Now, it's a family heirloom. This is stated in Raymond Benson's novelization of the film, and he switched for a deadly copy. Yeah, all right. So that was clever. Okay, that was clever. So this lapel pin was essentially a detonator, and the money was a fertilizer bomb? And then somehow this chemical reaction occurred, and then kaboom? Yeah, kaboom indeed, yeah. King is dead. (laughs) And MI6 has a large hole blown in the side of it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and we see another explosion that blows up MI6 Inspector. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that building's taking a beating. <laughs> Man. All right. That's a good point, Vicky. Anyway, Bond looks through the hole and sees the woman from the Swiss bank. You mean Cigar Girl. Yeah, Cigar Girl, gun in hand on a boat out on the River Thames. Wow. She aims the red laser sight at Bond and offloads the gun, causing Bond to jump out of the way. Boy, she means business. But my question was this. Why draw attention to yourself, right? You just exploded the bomb successfully. King is probably dead, as far as you know. Why stick around and try to shoot Bond? Just cruise up the Thames and be gone. No one would have even known it was you who did it. But no, you're going to draw attention to yourself. Yeah, I mean, that that's true, but it's a pre-title sequence and we know we need more action. So she speeds off in the boat. Meanwhile, no. Bond acquires a Q boat from Q's workshop, much to the annoyance of Q, who states yeah. it isn't finished. And it gives us some indication of the fun and games that are about to begin. So this is probably where you're going to start enjoying it, Dan. Yeah, okay, all right, all right. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, typical Q branch, right? It's armed with torpedoes, a rocket booster, and a GPS tracking system. The vehicle was nicknamed Wet Nelly 2 due to its submersible qualities and was a subtle nod to the 1977 film The Spy Who Loved Me. Fifteen Q boats were specially made for this sequence. Four were fully functional. Wow, that's pretty good. And they say it took seven weeks to film this boat chase sequence. Wow. All right, I like the GPS tracking system. You know, no big deal, but it's a GPS tracking system. It's much more advanced than the tracking system that we talked about in our podcast episode we did called Gadgets from Russia with Love and Goldfinger. Can you believe it? So it's pretty cool. 
and he gets some ideas from the GPS tracking system. So, back to the action. The yeah. Q-boat spectacularly launches itself out of the MI6 building and onto the iconic River Thames. Yeah, that was a great stunt. I really like that one. Now, the River Thames is synonymous with London and is the second longest river in England after the River Severn that flows through parts of England and Wales. The name derives from the Britannic spelling Temesa, and the Tam element means darkness. Oh, that's cool, Vicky. Ah. All right. What we see in this pre-titled sequence now is a series of twists and turns as both the Cigar Girl speedboat and the Q-boat try to outwit one another, speeding through the waterways surrounding the Thames. And Bond's boat shoots flames from its exhaust, which is very reminiscent of the Batmobile <laughs> in the Batman series. I just can't get that out of my mind. I had the exact same thought when I saw those flames. And I think this chase actually is one of my favorite James Bond chases from any of his movies. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Maybe that's because we've been to a part of where they filmed that chase. And anyone in London can go there. It's very accessible. It was yeah. a cool spot, right, to see. And at one point, the Q-boat somersaults over the other boat, causing the Cigar Girl to hit the deck. And we see endless water explosions as the Cigar Girl tries to take out Bond's pursuit. So Now, wait a second, Dan. That wasn't the somersault. I thought it more, looked more like uh, the corkscrew bridge jump from the man with the golden gun now i think that i want to think they were paying homage to that scene although they one-upped it by showing the boat corkscrew twice but i think that was just the editing Uh, okay all right yeah that's it i confused my somersaults with my corkscrews and you never want to do that when you're opening a bottle of nice wine so all right that's good (laughs) you're right (laughs) you really said that dan huh i did (laughs) Right. Now, I, I love this pre-title sequence, but even I, even I have to snigger when Bond's boat dives underwater to avoid a low bridge and we see him straightening <laughs> his tie with the Bond theme playing in the background in the underwater shot. <laughs> yeah, Mickey, I, I love that, actually. I think that was a throwback, certainly, or an homage to Goldeneye when he's causing all the destruction in St. Petersburg with the tank, <laughs> yeah. right? And and he takes a moment to straighten his tie then. And they say that here in the world is not enough, that this was Pierce Brosnan's idea to straighten his tie. So I kind of like that, that he tied the, the movies together. Uh, yes, I like that could, kind of continuity. Well, it could be an obvious precursor to the cheesiness of the next film, Dying of the Day. <laughs> Tom's favorite. <laughs> oh, don't, don't mention that movie. And I guess that'll have to be our next pre-title sequence, oh, won't it, Dan? Looking Darn. forward to that, huh? <laughs> anyway, back... Yeah. And, well, actually, the pre-title on that one's okay. Yeah. It's, it's funny because for this movie, I like this chase, but I don't like the whole pre-title sequence. And mm-hmm. I like the movie better, right? The rest okay. of the movie, I actually like this one. In Die Another Day, it's almost backwards. But anyways, the speedboat yeah. goes and crashes through another boat and causes an explosion. And... That's now blocking Bond's path. What will he do? He looks at his guidance map on the screen and sees a shortcut. Although, looking at it, it doesn't look like it's plain sailing. Pardon the pun. No. We no. cut to two traffic wardens clamping. Yes. Yeah, that was bad. Sorry. We cut to two traffic wardens clamping on a car on the dock side as the Bond speeds around, and they get absolutely soaked, much to their annoyance. And this is a great location in the Isle of Dogs, London. And all three of us has been there, as Dan mentioned. Yeah, here in the UK, we had a a reality traffic warden show called The Clampers. 
And one of the reality stars was real-life traffic warden Ray Brown, who was one of the most hated men in Britain at the time. It's a real joke having him play one of the men clamping the car. If you know, you know. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. very cool. All right. I read about that show, and the article said that in real life, Ray Brown was a supervisor, and maybe he didn't really do the clamping, especially while singing Another One Bites the Dust. It's like, anyway, all right, back to the boat chase, which is the exciting part of this. It's a great filming location, this part where we all visited. And when you're there, you can see that it's really impossible for Bond to follow those waterways and where he is here. But it's okay. Willing suspension of disbelief. You have to love movie magic, Dan. Yeah. And Vicky, that one was one I didn't know, that clampers thing. Um, I guess yeah, it was a show I, that we didn't steal from the UK to yeah, redo here, <laughs> like we tend to do. Yeah, that's cool. Bond causes havoc in the Q-boat, jumping through wooden boat houses, across roads, narrowly missing traffic, and destroying a fish market and a restaurant to boot. <laughs> With destruction in tow, he drives the Q-boat back onto the Thames, landing in front of the Millennium Dome, now the O2 Arena, it's quite a spectacular sequence. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The Millennium Dome was the original name of the large dome-shaped building in Greenwich, London. It was built for the new Millennium and housed an extensive exhibition, but it never attracted enough visitors. Oh. So since then, it has avoided demolition due to the cost of the upkeep. But luckily, in 2005, it was rebranded and is now a concert venue, ironically called the O2. Get it? Water? Thames? <laughs> well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, two, where's the H? <laughs> it's H2O. <laughs> well, maybe they just cared about the, the, the oxygen dioxide. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's an oxygen bar. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, now here, as a as an aside on this, this, this Millennium Dome that's now the O2, here in the U.S., we have our public broadcasting system, and they do fundraising episodes, and they very often during fundraising show the Les Miserables in concert, the 25th anniversary that they did in the O2. And it was an amazing concert, and the venue was fantastic for it. So now I've seen the inside of the O2 a little bit, where here mm. we see the outside. Yeah, right. Actually, I'm at the O2 in October. So, yes, oh, I should yeah. be at the Millennium Dome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cool. Sorry, right, anyway... Bond is now back on the river, speeding towards the cigar girl, who's coming from the opposite direction. Bond launches missiles. They hit the speedboat, which has stopped on the shingle around the Thames, just as the cigar girl jumps out. Of course, she gets out. She climbs inside a hot air balloon that is stationary outside the dome at the function, waving outside the dome. Just happened to be there. <laughs> yeah, <at> function. <laughs> waving her gun at those mooring the balloon, like, okay, let's get out of here. Now, I, I don't know if I'd be going up in a balloon with people with guns who could just shoot you and whatever. I that's that's a hell of an escape route. I don't I wouldn't do it. But Bond lands his cue boat in the middle of of a party and jumps on the balloons ropes, which there's another great idea. Right. I'm going to jump yeah. on these balloon ropes, shoot the damn thing down. Or maybe he didn't want to kill her, I guess. But wow. OK, it's on the ropes. He's on the well, ropes. then Bond, Bond tries to reason with her, asking who she's working for. I can make a deal. Just tell me who's behind this. Who you're working for. Don't do it. Don't blow us up. And that he can protect her. I can protect you. Do you understand? I can protect 
but she replies, That's from him! Who? Who is she referring to? There is an unseen villain. Will we see this him in the movie? Hmm, this is intriguing. Mm. Okay, all right. So now we've got a little a little more intrigue there. And I, I love that Bond is hanging on a rope, telling her that he could save her. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. You're not really in a good negotiating position right here. <laughs> but that, that was amusing to me. I like that part of the pre-title. It's like, all right, I'll listen to you on the end of a rope. Okay. Ah. <laughs> uh. All right, she shoots at the canister, and boom! The balloon blows up as Bond falls onto the roof of the Millennium Dome, slipping and sliding until he catches one of the fixtures hanging there, one of the cables. Now, the director, Michael Apted, said that this stunt was extremely difficult to do and to film, and that he intentionally left in the final cut a shot of the stuntman actually missing one of the cables that he was supposed to grab. A little homage, he says, to the stunt performers here. So that was kind of cool. I couldn't find the yeah, stunt. Yeah, I, I actually think name. I, stuntman's name, though. I couldn't find the name. Or we'd give him a little shout out here. Oh, uh, which which one did it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I not sure which one it. it was. Yeah. Now, for that stunt, I think Ethan Hunt does a similar one where he's slipping and sliding on the tall building in Mission Impossible 3 when he does mm. that cool stunt jumping thing between the buildings. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I wonder if okay. this Mission Impossible 3 was doing a little tip of the cap to this Bond movie. Yeah, I don't think Mission Impossible tips are kept to anybody. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so then it's on to the title sequence with the song The World Is Not Enough, performed by the band Garbage. And I like the title sequence. It has Bond's color palette of oranges and blues and greens, some dark moments, of course, lots of circles that look globe-like, assuming they're the world of the world is not enough and shapes that might look like oil, which is of course foretelling for the whole movie morphing into dancing women while the title song is playing. So I kind of like that. It's cool. All right, cool. The movie opens with the funeral scene at the Eileen Donan castle located near the Isle of Skye in West Scotland. Now, Tom, you've been there, right? Oh yeah. It's a very cool place and you have to work to get to where they get the outside shot. You have to go up a hill. It's not right there. Yeah. It was a little tough to find. I remember you said it took you quite a while. Well, that's because I was a moron. Once I realized, <laughs> once I looked at another picture and got a clue what to do, it was like, oh, duh. But when you first get there, you're like, oh, I'm here at the castle. And the castle parking lot's the wrong place to be. Yeah. All right. <laughs> there you go. Dan, the band Garbage started not too far from you and Tom Wright. I think they're based out in Wisconsin. Is that right next to you guys? Yeah, yeah, that's a state just north of us. That's only about uh, 60 miles away, the state. And Madison, Wisconsin, I think, is where they are from. It's probably, what, 120 miles, 100 miles away, 110 miles away, something like that. So they were more of an alternative rock band here. I know they were nominated for two Grammy Awards for their album version 2.0 in 1998, the year after that they did this title song, To the World Is Not Enough. Tom, we should try to get them on our show to talk about how that title track came about. I know they start their next tour at the beginning of June of this year, I believe. Uh, Dan, that's a great idea. So, all right, we took apart the pre-title sequence to the 1999 James Bond movie, The World Is Not Enough. And that's a wrap. Vicki, thank you for joining us on this one. It's been quite a while, and I hope your YouTube channel, The Bond Room Unlocked, is going strong and all is well with you and John. Yeah, thanks, Vicki. Great to have you back. 
All right. This has been Dan. Tom. And Vicky. The SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Please subscribe to our show through your favorite podcast app and give us a five-star rating in your app as well. That helps keep this show going. We thank you for listening because we really appreciate you spending time with us. Thanks.